Yellow. Hey, folks. It's Jeremy. You're listening to Blamo. By the way, do you remember when, like, your friend's dad would answer that way? Because he thought he was really cool. Um, you know, people would answer the phone. They'd say yellow. And, they, you know, they'd think it's really funny. That's like me. That's like me just sitting here in my basement talking to a wall. Uh, yeah. This is going to be a wordy, deep thought podcast, by the way. Uh, you know, I always re-listen to the episodes before they go live to, you know, just double check for my idiocy and things like that, fact checking and stuff. But I was re-listening to this episode and processing things further in, you know, like I kind of had a bit of a pause here and there because I I think, you know, clothing, it's, it's such an incredible medium for self-discovery. Uh, you know, no does is the podcast, right? But like, you know, I, I buy clothes to tell the world what I like, how I want to express myself, and also how I want to affiliate myself. But, you know, none of these things actually have meaning. We, we give them the meaning. And that, that, that specific thing was, was something heavily discussed on this week's pod. Um, a brand that has sought out to lead with this mentality is Good Fight. And I'm joined by one of their co-founders, Caleb Lynn. We go all over the place on this episode <laughs> And we get into his journey with the industry, you know, but something this episode spent a lot of time on was the hard stuff. I think most folks that come on, they, they tend to kind of lean into all their success, you know, and it felt like this, we hovered a lot more on the grind. And I like that. I like that a lot because obviously we know he's successful. Good Fight is an incredible brand and everybody loves it. And it's the, if you know, you know, and it's, I mean, it's, they're crushing it. But the fact of just building a brand, I think people really forget about how incredibly difficult it is. So, you know, we talked with Caleb Lynn, one of the founders and brand directors of Good Fight, and we talk about, you know, how he got to where he was through his very non-traditional background, his family's wild career paths, uh, being a personal assistant with Will Smith's creative team, not taking no for an answer, working at opening ceremony, but we get into the philosophical on the meaning of success and uh, how it can be defined and even more philosophical with a rabbit hole down the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep, yep. Uh, I promise it all makes sense. It's a heavy one. Uh, let's dive in. Finding people in fashion that are like actually interested in sports is so yeah. far and in between. <laughs> and it makes me feel like it's like a dirty, it, to me, sometimes it feels like a dirty secret where like, I don't know, I think like I grew up playing every sport and um, my dad, he's like a, a, a native New Yorker. He's been like a, a Yankees fan, a Knicks fan. Georgia Pearl, like, um, like everybody long time, long time. So sports mm-hmm. kind of like is in my DNA and finding other people within the industry that like care about that. I feel like sometimes it, it grounds me, you know, in a sense of kind of like pulling you out of the cultural zeitgeist of everything that is fashion, everything that is everything that surrounds it too, like the, the music and the art and the pop culture and the things that inevitably get kind of sucked into its orbit. I feel like sports, you know, in some way sometimes becomes the the great equalizer or, you know, like whatever you're interested in, the person that's sitting in the stands, the person that's sitting at home watching on TV, everybody cares a little bit different, you know? So I think just like seeing, like I've been watching JJ and it's been like so amazing seeing guys like like him, uh, the All the Smoke guys, the Knuckleheads guys, all these guys Mm -hmm. who are players who have so much to say. Um, have this opportunity, have this platform now to be able to speak, to be able to give input that uh, sometimes drives with and sometimes contrasts with the sports analysts, you know, and and nothing nothing to take away from the sports analysts because I think those guys have their place too. And I think JJ would 
would say that as well. But seeing I mean, the way he's becoming that, an analyst, now, yeah. I mean, look at him on ESPN. Yeah. Like he's he's taking yeah. over ESPN now too. Yeah. <laughs> he's on first take and get up and and everything like all the time. So so yeah. But it was it was just so cool because I, I was just watching one of the episodes of him breaking down one of the games, and I'm like, is that a Blamo sticker on his laptop? That's <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> just like the convergence of worlds was was so rad. So um, yeah, that that's, that's, that's great. A little thing that that well, out. Caleb. Huge pleasure to meet you. Uh, I've I've loved what you guys have been doing for a while, and I de- I definitely want to chat through a ton of the brand, but more importantly, you. I mean, I think you know we've you know like you were talking about with sports and fashion. I think for me, this show has always been more about the people and like making connections with those people because mm-hmm. clothes are great, but I think there's so much stigma attached to things whether you're some like person who only wears old clothes and and is using that as like their high road to just like buy more stuff that's vintage Mm -hmm. or uh, you know or people that are all in the like sustainability mindset or any of these things but it's just like being able to kind of communicate more like who these people are who these designers are Mm -hmm. and also the fact that like yeah there's other things that that we're doing other than talking about clothes all day i mean you know, obviously clothes are a visual medium and this is audio, but like you can, you're on your phone, you can Google this stuff pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. pretty fast to just find it. But anyway, I mean, I'm really, really glad uh, that, that you're on. So this, this is, this is great. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out. And uh, obviously like Andrew, shout out Andrew. Um, Andrew Chen. Andrew you know who Chen. you are. Yeah. <laughs> 316. From 316. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, uh, that's family. So. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you, you kind of, come from a, like a traditional like retail like but like top tier retail background right i mean you were at mm-hmm. opening ceremony right. and all that i mean yeah. what's what was kind of like your your journey pre good fight um let's see i i, I kind of feel like I, I always tell people whenever we talk about good fight i feel like good fight's kind of like a living document um the first thing is that you know it's we have, you know like i mentioned before um we have four members um, I'm actually, I, I'll start off from the top by saying like, I'm not the designer. A lot of people, um, you know, usually ask me, uh, if I'm the designer, I'm not the designer. Um, I'm probably, you'll see me a little bit more sometimes because I think I talk more <laughs> and I'm, 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 sure. I'm, I'm more of the kind of get shit done guy. Um, but, uh, our designer, Calvin Nguyen, him and Julia, our creative director, Julia Chu. Um, they're kind of like the creative force behind like a lot of the clothes, um, the artwork, all those different kinds of things. Um, and then we have, uh, our, uh, kind of business strategy, um, partner who's, uh, Christina Chow, who happens to be my my wife too. Um, and then I run kind of like, I, I kind of act as a brand director. I kind of have my hands in a little bit of everything. Um, especially with my background as a buying director, um, after opening ceremony. So. Mm-hmm. But the brand itself is kind of like an amalgamation of of the four of us. I think that's what makes it a little bit more unique, a little bit more complicated. I think sometimes for mm. um, whether that's people writing about it or people or or buyers trying to kind of like wrap their head around it. I think that's what makes it a little bit unique. Um, I think for me as an individual, I've always kind of found myself in a journey of, and and I think we all are in, in a certain extent. I've always found myself in in a journey of trying to find myself. Um, I think. Welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah. I think I think all of us have that. Um, I was listening to Mobilaji's um, interview the other day, and he has such a fascinating background. And for me, I think I found um, a little bit of like 
I, I empathize with, I think, some of the experiences that, that he went through. Um, our path was a little bit different, but in the sense of also like me, um, I'm born and raised in New York City, um, but my parents are Taiwanese. But mm-hmm. I think also I have maybe kind of a more non-traditional immigrant story in a sense too, and that like my parents are 100% immigrants, but they also came very, very early on. And I, so I think even my experience specifically as um, a quote unquote Asian American or a Taiwanese American is a little bit unique in the sense of like my dad moved to New York when he was 17 years old to go to college. He went to Columbia and um, he got into the PhD program for English literature. And Jeez. yeah, when he was a kid, um, he had aspirations to move to New York because he used to watch um, mob movies. And, and that was his, he always wanted <laughs> to move to New York. My, my uncles used to tell me about how, and, and maybe this is where I get a little bit of the, the, the fashion background too, is that my uncles used to always tell me how my dad would um, cut school and wear pinstripe, um, pinstripe suits, dress up in pinstripe suits and, 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 and sneak out to the movie theater. And that was his kind of like education as a kid um, because they had like a kind of unique family. I think he ended up getting sent off to boarding school and he always felt a little bit like a misfit and he mm. felt like he didn't belong and he wanted to go to New York. So he went to New York. All of my uncles did kind of interesting things. My, my oldest uncle ended up moving out to California super, super early on before like down to Laguna Niguel, before Laguna Niguel was Laguna Niguel, when it was still all wow. farmland. And he was yeah. farming there. And the young, my youngest uncle, uh, or my dad's, or I'm sorry. So my dad's big sister, she moved to Wisconsin. I don't know how you get okay. from Taiwan to Wisconsin. Is, that's like a whole nother thing. And then my youngest uncle um, ended up in Maryland and became a doctor. He was actually one of the presidential doctors for uh, Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan. Good God. Yeah, so the so, bar's pretty low for you. So, yeah, just like yeah, what so you like, want to do. They're all over the place. And they're, <laughs> and if you want to talk about like the American experience, like my, like, I think my family uh, on, on my father's side had a little bit of a more non-traditional, but also like literally like moving into like the Midwest and literally becoming farmers. Like my um, oldest uncle, like I said, he, he became a farmer. And then the, the, the uncle who was a presidential doctor actually, um, he he farms on on the weekends and 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 his yeah my as cousin one does <laughs> yeah it's like yeah of course right he has this like seven acre farm in Virginia that he goes to to kind of like you know detox and my my um, cousin who who became a doctor as well ended up this is really interesting so both of them have this kind of philosophy and my 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 grandfather was a doctor too he believed this too but they have this philosophy that medicine doesn't heal people the body heals people what medicine does is to flip the right switches within the body that triggers the body to heal itself. Um, so mm. it's kind of like a little bit more, it's not Eastern medicine, it's still Western medicine, but a little bit more of a holistic viewpoint. And mm-hmm. so my cousin at some point got so fed up as a doctor that um, he realized that he felt like he could do more good and help more people by starting a beer company, by bringing happiness huh? to people through beer. So he has beer. a beer company and my uncle turned that farm that he has uh, into like their first, um, like, you know, their first mill for, for the beer company. And it's, and what's the beer? It. It's called a uh, elder pine. Elder pine. Yeah. Okay. Elder pine. It's, it's really good. Um, I think my knowledge of beer and, and alcohol in general is slim to nil. So I, I, I apologize if you don't see a reaction. No worries. No worries. But, but yeah, so, <laughs> but, so my, my dad moved to New York when he was 17. My mom moved to Queens when she was 11. She had a little bit more of, I guess the traditional, um, 
story from a Taiwanese perspective in terms of like moving. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I and I say it specifically. It, it's so hard. Um, I recently read this book, um, uh, "The Loneliest Americans" by Jay Caspian Kang, and uh, from I'm the New familiar. York Times. Okay, and uh, you know he talks about this idea that the Asian American American experience, and it's it's so nuanced too, and it's so there's so many different kinds of people. Um, you, mm. you can't to to kind of paint the experience with one brush is is way too broad. So, but specifically for my mom, she moved to Queens when she was 11. Um, she grew up around Elmhurst, and um, she grew up in New York, like like a New Yorker. So mm-hmm. I feel like um, I was very blessed in the sense that they um, both obviously still had a lot of their Eastern culture um, with them, but at the same time they became fully Americanized as well. And so I, mm. I feel very blessed in the sense that I feel like I got the best of both worlds. Um, there's not like one I like more than the other. People ask me all the time. I live in LA now. Okay, like, what do you prefer? Do you prefer Los Angeles or New York? And I'm just like, look, like you, you can't really compare the two. Um, mm. Like, both of them are so special in their own ways. Both of them will never be the other. Like, in, in some, in, I think anytime each city tries to become the other, they fail horribly. Right. If LA ever mm-hmm. tries to reproduce what's going on in New York, it just doesn't work here, you know. And in the same vein, the special thing about California is the fact. Um, I mean, so many different things in terms of like even culture and the way that it's preserved here. You know, ironically, like I think you've been in New York for for a long time now. Um, you know, people. I left. I'm gone. Oh, what? Where are you right now? Uh, now I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. Oh no way. Um, My wife's from Chicago. Yeah, I mean, okay. Yeah, yeah I used to go to Chicago a bunch. Um, but we moved in October of 2020. Yeah to st louis more because of you're there for family you're there for family. yeah i'm there for family hopefully as a st louis boy you're proud of jason tatum game seven jason tatum pulling through right yeah. now <laughs> that's Shout true st louis um <laughs> i love the midwest by the way um uh yeah my wife is the only reason i think why why i've kind of gone out there a little bit and pre-pandemic okay. i was really hoping to actually travel through the u.s uh when i was a kid so my dad took over my grandfather's he had an accessories business, um, mm-hmm. and um, he would sell accessories um, to different department stores, JCPenney's, Macy's, places like that, Army, Navy. Yeah. So he traveled all through the U.S., and every now and then I get to tag along with him um, on these uh, trips where he would go and go show. At the time, it's actually pretty funny because at the time, I didn't understand he was going to show merchandise to buyers. And um, it was right. something that, that I fell into later that, you know, kind of looking back on that, it was weird. My parents lament, I think, sometimes, you know, obviously, you understand, like, I think most parents, I don't think it's even specific necessarily sometimes to culture. They always hope that their kids become, you know, some kind of success, a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever, something that's stable, something that's successful. Yeah, well, it's funny because you ended on successful and it's like, what is, like, the the idea of what success is Mm. now is very different. Like, success back then, if you're like baby boomer post-World War II, success just means security. Right. It means means health and security. And it's like, if you can get that through working at a coffee shop, is is that successful? Is that, I mean, you know, because I think externally some people would be like oh that person's just grinding it out like they mm-hmm. don't you know but the the one thing that i have seen more than ever from this is not any sort of flex but like celebrity friends mm-hmm. or people that are just absurdly wealthy all of these things where it's like six they they might be externally viewed as someone who's successful or mm-hmm. someone who made it but they don't feel that way i don't yeah. know if anyone truly feels successful because if that's equaling happiness i don't know if it's the 
capitalistic mindset or materialistic culture that we're in or the fact that Instagram reminds you you never have what someone else <laughs> does like it, yeah I, I think it's it's a very yeah tough rabbit to chase it is it is and you know what i would say that i i would say that i don't even know that it's necessarily specific to to capitalist or western cultures either I, no I, I yeah, yeah that's it's, true yeah yeah and, and you know in a way because i do think that like a lot of people point to that um and obviously there's obvious pitfalls to kind of like the kind of system of materialism that i think a lot of people become more aware of mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. yeah it, it's a struggle that everybody has i feel like even you know, as much as like you have this kind of like new generation that's kind of returning to like soul craft, right? That's kind of, I would say that's even maybe a, maybe more our generation than, than the younger generation, right? Of mm -hmm. this idea of kind of like you were talking about, like, I know a bunch of guys actually even here in LA that uh, were lawyers and stuff like that before and literally quit and opened their own coffee shops. Um, but this idea that, you know, the thing is like, even people that are farmers still struggle with the same, I think, insecurities and questions and desire to find happiness that all the rest of us do. It's like the guy that's in the penthouse in New York City and the guy that's on like a plot of land in Missouri, sometimes right. like people don't realize that some of the things that they want is actually pretty similar. Uh, even if, well, even I, if the way that they, that they try to hunt it out is different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we all want to be loved yeah. and heard, you know, yeah. like you, you want someone to be proud of you you want what you contribute to be valuable and you want to be cared for like that, that is a inherent um natural desire amongst every culture yeah. background individual it's yeah I, I and i i don't know where that's from i mean we can connect the dots all day but yeah, like that yeah, is yeah. just the thing that like unites all of us it is in the sense that just yeah this pursuit of acceptance yeah so um yeah for me i think it's like uh there was i think my parents sometimes lament the fact that I ended up back um, in fashion, in retail, in um, in kind of a thing that I think they kind of felt like they they were able to kind of escape. Um, versus being like Biden's doctor right now or something? Versus being doing something else, which is <laughs> ironic, though, because at the same time, so like, okay, so I, I went to college at UCLA. Um, my family moved us out to California because my parents wanted to get me into the UC system. Um, okay. and get that, uh, uh, that in-state wow. tuition, which is very different than it is now. The, the tuition right now is almost like a private college. Um, really? yeah, it's wild how much it costs now. Um, uh, my brother's going Jeez. to UCI right now and it's, it's fucking wild. Um, so, uh, but when I came to California, I, I loved it and I wanted to stay here. So I went to UCLA and, and I studied. How old were you when you came? 16. Okay. Yeah. It was cool. I think for me, obviously like I, a lot of what I missed was like my friends that I was leaving. But mm -hmm. um, you get kind of like a little bit of that new kid shine to at school, which was kind of interesting. Um, Plus, you got the cool guy. I'm from New York points. That's a little helped. bit of that. Yeah, I wasn't that cool. I think <laughs> I was like, you know, I think that I was just trying to again, I was trying to find myself. Um, sure. I met a lot of girls. I think that <laughs> that that were kind of. I existed to, uh, which was a little bit different for me mm -hmm. think, growing up on the East Coast. Um, and that that made me want to stay a little bit too. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I got to be careful because you know, my wife's going to listen to this at some point and I'm going to be <laughs> in bad territory. Um, well, I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, my, I'm married too, but yeah. it's like, yeah, you, you dated yeah. other people yeah. before. Yeah. And also Thank like, God, and that's, right? yeah, when you, that's what you think about when, when you're at that age. That's like, that's all you think about. Of course. <laughs> right? Even like the clothes, the clothes we wear, the, the, the music we listen to, the way that we want to uh -huh. be perceived, you know, all of it's kind of mm -hmm. like attached 
to attracting somebody, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so I came out and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I think I, 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 I realized, I think late into my college career that, that I wanted to do something a little bit more creative. Um, I tried my hand at um, some of the more traditional paths that my parents kind of had pushed me towards. They were both engineers. I definitely was not kind of a math and science person. That was never my strong suit. Um, right. I tried econ and that killed me and I did terribly in it. Which is ironic What's again econ? because I did like economics. Yeah, a bit a busy economist. Okay, yeah, yeah. kind of like the undergrad major at, at, at UCLA. So um, when I came out, um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just wanted to do, you know, like how many times you talk to young kids? You know, what do you want to do? I want to be, I want to be creative. You know, that that's pretty much like all yeah. you know, right? Yeah. Um, I did. Um, I was just interested in music. Uh, I know. I think you have a little bit of a background, or a, a much, a much more heavy background in music than than I do. I think. Yeah, I I moved to New York to to be a musician. Yeah, which is as you can see, I've been crushing it the past <laughs> few years. So <laughs> which is cool because it, it all it all kind of pushes you towards something. So um, I mean, yeah. same thing yeah, for yeah, me. Yeah. I think I was very interested in music and stuff like that. I didn't know what I wanted to do. My best friend was going to SC, and his his roommate uh, was this guy uh, Johan Lamb. Um, who had this oh, little band called okay. called 316 uh, at the time. They were um, printing... Uh, the Cousins shirt? Was no, this it was Three Cousins. This was, um, okay. this was like Martin Luther King t-shirts and, and, and oh, nice. stuff like that. Yeah. So very early on, uh, he was like, hey, uh, one of my friends has a fashion brand, him uh, and his partner, Andrew. Um, I can talk to him to see if he has anything going on. So I met up with uh, Johan. He ended up getting me a job at this tiny streetwear boutique um, called El Mercado uh, mm -hmm. on uh, Pico and Hauser in Los Angeles. And then I I, uh, I interned and I worked at the same time for 316. So El Mercado kind of paid the bills, um, helping to run that tiny little shop there. And then uh, I just was, a, was an intern for 316. And that's kind of like my start, I think, getting into fashion. I think before that, I'd, I'd worked at like Urban Outfitters um, in college for a nice. little bit. Hey, I worked at Banana Republic in Hollister. Solid. You know, I mean, it, ain't, ain't nothing wrong with that. No, no, it, teach, yeah. it teaches you the foundations, you know what I mean? I think especially for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah, just like really basic things of like structure and stuff like that. So um, Nice. But yeah, that's, and, that's how I first got in. And then, then you, you know, you were at opening ceremony, then you were at, yeah. what, American, American Rag? Rag? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those are like, I mean, obviously opening ceremony is not, you know, what it was anymore. I mean, yeah. I think it's totally gone now, right? Well, the brand still so the exists, brand exists, but the store isn't. Yeah, the stores yeah. are gone. And we'll see, actually. I think that, I do think that they'll be back at some point. But the, the whole plan, I think this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but I think like the whole plan for them, I think was to shut down the third party retail aspect of what they were mm -hmm. doing and open kind of more um kind of like um private label stores anyways so i think right. at some point you might see them back again and you, yeah i mean humberto's been doing all sorts of stuff i mean yeah, making directing family. music videos yeah, and yeah yeah i mean doing all sorts of stuff yeah the linda windows video he did yeah. uh of like the best best new punk band of all time right now yeah yeah um <laughs> his mom his mom's <laughs> yeah. restaurant i actually uh funny story was i actually they actually had me help um his mom write write a book um about her her background um that 
Oh, wow. I think that that Spike had always, Spike Jones had always wanted to kind of take her life story. She has a crazy story and to kind of turn it into a film. And um, so I actually like sat and, and helped her kind of like put some of it down on paper. I, I don't think it was good enough. Like this film never, treatment or never got made. So <laughs> the, the it's floating out there somewhere. We'll see if anything ever comes of it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, but no, but I mean, I think Damn. even my, um, so I mean, I think, man, my time at, at 316 was so um, special. Um, I think seeing, you know, you know, Andrew and, and, and Johan, obviously those guys are just, they're so solid. Um, I think seeing the way that they, you know, I think especially during a time when they first started out as a streetwear brand and the way that they were able to transition into Americana and denim and everything like that and become just kind of like such, um, this for me, even still, I think obviously like our brands kind of sit in slightly different spaces but i still look up to them so much and and i always talk about mm. how like i literally wouldn't be here without the two of them they so much they taught me in, in the way that they move in the way that they treat people um specifically even in the way that they treat their people and the their staff and their team um yeah that's something that is so much more amazing to me than like uh, a runway show or um winning an award or something like that it's like if you can do that like then then you've You've made it, you know, kind of going back to what you're talking about in terms of like, what is accomplishment? What's the things that like we really care about? Um, well, you look at all the like, and I'm not making a direct comparison here, but the the brands that people truly, truly love and admire that would be considered like a heritage brand, yeah. whether like, like Louis Vuitton sure. or Hermes or Ralph Lauren or any of these things, those were companies that like have always put their people first in the sense that they're like people wanted to be there right like people you know and you got a lot out of it like i don't know a single person who worked for ralph lauren like corporate wise who regretted the time they spent there you know all of them talk about like it was like a phd in some other you know in design or whatever language and then when you look at people that have worked at you know hermes and and like some lvmh brands like they now some of this is, is cultural mm -hmm. in the sense that like they're they live in a country where their government has like healthcare and stuff yeah. like that, you know, it's yeah. a little bit easier, but there's, there's such an emphasis on family and long-term. And when I mean family, I mean like the company family. Mm -hmm. And so like, you're just invested in right. so much. And when you look at brands that are started here, that um, may be backed by a VC that has to have a really, really accelerated, crazy growth. Yeah. There's, people are just batteries. Yeah. And when they're empty, they're just discarded. And it's like, it's tough to build something that has so much staying power mm -hmm. when the external conversations that are occurring are people who are just burnt out. Yeah. You know, I mean, when people speak about how much they value the time at a certain place, mm -hmm. that gives so much brand affinity to that brand yeah. far more than any advertising budget ever could. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I, and I feel especially right now, it's like, if you look at our consumer, like, obviously, there's there's so much that's out there right now. And there's so much that's accessible, things that were, mm -hmm. were not accessible before. Um, even and it, it's wild to, to, to think how much of that has even changed in the past decade. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at the end of the day, even though obviously, there's plenty of bullshit out there. Um, <laughs> customers are looking for authenticity and and i think that they can they, they can there's some i think there's a lot that they can see past obviously there's sometimes you kind of shake your head at what uh they don't 
But at the same time, I think that customers now are a lot more hungry for for that sense of authenticity. I think there's that. And I mean, that kind of brings me to Good Fight too, where it's like traditionally, Mm -hmm. and I mean, maybe the past 30 years ago, you could be a clothing brand and all you needed to do was make clothes. Mm -hmm. You made the clothes and you sold the clothes. Mm. And I think now the weight of being a clothing brand doesn't exist. You you have to be a brand. Yeah. And that's great because it it allows you to to create things in a, any medium you want. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you're just doing clothes now. Maybe you move to film direction and films or you know, or what whatever that sort of thing is. And I think that's great, but it also means you kind of have to have a say in all these things. Right. And now, at least for me, as a as a uh, like a client consumer, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. like I want the brand that I wear to say all of these things that I am uh, maybe too embarrassed mm. or too ashamed to have a public conversation on. Where it's like, I want the fact that I wear this brand for you to know how I feel about all these other mm-hmm. things, and that is more and more of a desire, especially with newer and younger consumers, where they want yeah. who they patronize to do some of the work for them or to educate them in you know some sort of aspirational whether it's being more active in their government mm. or you know being more active in in mental health or those things right. so like i am curious because i think like good fight is a is not a brand that is just that just makes clothes i mean you yeah. guys have cool stuff yeah thank but you. <laughs> there's a little bit more to it yeah. you know <laughs> yeah i hope so i hope so yeah um yeah we we started the brand man um so my my last day at American Rag was um, was the day of the um, 2016 election. Oh, okay, yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> which was a great time to start. <laughs> which was a really interesting time to start. I remember my uh-huh. mom messaging me and being like, "Hey, I, I don't know if this is a good time to start a new business." <laughs> and I was like, um, "I got this, mom." <laughs> and I remember, I think at that time, you know, what kind of like brought it about. Um, was um you know at that point i'd kind of been in the industry for like over a decade um Mm -hmm. you know like you said like i had the opportunity to work for like a lot of amazing institutions um and i felt like i think specifically for me one of the things that really got me was i i wanted to continue to create more space for um different people and different ideas um i think one of the things core ideas of good fight is it's not that we have all the answers but i think we would like to hope that when you encounter our brand that you ask the question why and that's kind of like at the core of of everything that we do um uh, our creative director julia she always talks about how like at at our core you know you you always have people trying to understand and trying to put you in a box it's not always because it's not malicious necessarily even i think sometimes it's just people trying to understand but Mm -hmm. Um, at the core of our brand, it's 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 about curiosity, um, and it's about kind of questioning the status quo and everything that was going on in the U.S. Um, you know, for for all the you know American listeners or even people that were like looking from the outside, it felt kind of like what was going on politically was kind of an avatar of what was kind of going on within culture, um, and that was this mm-hmm. idea that it doesn't matter how you win as long as you win, and that was something I think that felt especially prevalent. I'm sure it's like it's prevalent in music, it's prevalent in uh, uh, media, it's prevalent in fashion. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the thing that we struggle with all the time, that the hypocrisy of our industry. Right. And um, this idea that you can have this T-shirt of this kind of like big lofty ideal, but then don't pay your vendors on time or go (laughs) and treat your employees like shit and and different things like that. And I think for (laughs) sorry. And yeah, I mean, like 
we all kind of know the behind the scenes stories of so many different yeah. kinds of things and organizations and things like that. Um, and for me, like I had always known that I wanted to do something um, for myself, um, you know, with people that I love. And we started Good Fight um, because we hoped that the brand could show people that you could operate at a high level um, through integrity, through kindness, through um, doing small things, you know, like it, the, the, the minefield of, of, of the subject that is, that is sustainability of whether that will ever be accomplished by anybody or anything. And I don't know if maybe this is like, I shouldn't touch this. This is like very, very controversial. No, you're good. But I mean, like, you know, it's like to be a sustainable brand, it's like, okay, like that's good. And that's important, obviously. And anything that adds to that is good. But how can you be for sustainability and then not pay your worker a minimum wage? Or Mm. be nickel and diming a factory and you know like we have customers or there's people that ask all the time why is this so expensive or why does this xyz and it's like well think about if you're buying this for, like 20 dollar t-shirt from this xyz uh retailer how much do you think that they paid the person that actually put that thing together because they don't have machines to do it yet the machines can do a lot now but there's still a lot so somebody has to run it through you know mm -hmm. and um that was the big thing i think that kind of opposite side we're not we're not a, a brand that's about social justice or or anything like that but at the same time i think as human beings we have the things that we believe in and so whether that's one from perspective in terms of being ex exploratory from an artistic sense uh, we always say that we believe in in art and the power of human value at our core at good fight um and okay. and we believe that those two things don't have to be mutually exclusive in fact they should be very very tied in with each other because just like you were talking about before, people are probably going to do their best work um, when they feel good, <laughs> when things are going well, when they feel like, okay, if I put in this much, I'm also getting back this much too, you know? So mm -hmm. that's, that's why we started the brand. Um, we felt like, um, I remember uh, at one point um, when uh, I was buying at American Rag, we did this um, pop-up, uh, this China pop-up. And uh, I went to, they sent me over to uh, Beijing and Hong Kong and Shanghai to go find new emerging designers um, from from China. And mm -hmm. I think the thing, there was a lot of really awesome relationships I got from it. There was a lot of really crazy talent, a lot of really cool things that I think a lot of people don't even realize uh, are going on over there creatively. Um, but one of the things that I think kind of shook me up a little bit was I would say like 90% of the brands that I ended up meeting up with, a lot of them they were Central St. Martin's kids, or they were connected to the factory that, uh, you know, makes Balenciaga uh, or XYZ. And a lot of the designs that I saw looked like European designs. Like you, you wouldn't know that it was something that's different. There, there was no necessarily evidence of it being mm. Chinese. And at the same time, for it to be Chinese, this is also like really shitty too, as so many times when you transport different kinds of Eastern um, brands into or or culture movies things themes that get moved into the western sense then it's obviously a lot of times slapped with throw a fucking dragon on it or make it red or or it's all about family everything's about family honor and it's just like no dude like we think about so many other things beyond that but but the thing for me was that there was no in-between of I, I the whole purpose of me going there was let me find the young, talented designers that are doing something different, that are doing something exciting, that that are doing something groundbreaking. And of course, it can have, it's going to have, there's nothing new under the sun. We're all shaped a certain kind of way. 
it's going to have references and that's totally fine. But what's the remix? What's the fresh thing? And I think as a buyer, that's what I was always hunting for. Like when you see guys like Kiko, when you see guys like Craig, when you see guys like Grace, Wales Bonner and um, Nicholas Daly and, um, you know, all these different designers that are doing something that kind of takes you somewhere else, that takes fashion mm. that you thought you understood. And you're like, holy shit, I never thought that you could do that before. I felt like I was seeing so much of like they were trying to hit the notes that would allow them to be accepted on the international stage. And that was really sad to me. So when we one of the reasons why I wanted to do Good Fight was um, I said to my wife, like, I want to create a spaceship. Um, I don't know if you've seen the show Firefly. Yeah. yeah. So one of, you're on a podcast. Yeah, one of, this is one of my favorite. Yeah, I, I should, I should, I should realize that. So, um, but and and I mean, R.I.P. Joss Whedon and all the other things attached to him in terms of all that. Oh stuff. Jesus, yeah, yeah. But uh, maybe I shouldn't even bring that up. But Firefly. No, it's yeah, the reason it's okay. the show is so exciting is because well, one, it's kind of like a, a space western, right? Everybody loves that, you know, cowboy bebop, you know, whatever. But there's also mm-hmm. this idea of like it's literally it's it's just a bunch of friends that are on a vehicle that takes them different places to have adventures together. And that's what I wanted to do with a few of my friends. And we hope to do like a little bit of good along the way. And one of the things that we hope to do was we wanted to kind of create. Um, in fact, we didn't even know that we were going to do clothes um, when we first started. Um, but being that like three out of the four of us, our main expertise was in clothes. I met our two other mm-hmm. partners, Calvin and Julia, at opening ceremony um, at this point, almost over 13 or 14 years ago, working on the floor at OC. Um we wanted to try to bring something different. We, we wanted to bring something that could hopefully fill in that space in between that hopefully gave the opportunity um, to create that kind of expression and create something new. Um, and yeah. we wanted to do it in a way, hopefully that wasn't to, we didn't want to kind of necessarily take you to outer space. Not again, that there's anything wrong with that, but we hoped, we've always said that like, we hope that good fight can kind of be a bridge so that anybody kind of whatever walk that they come from, walk of life they come from, they can come and kind of have some kind of touch point of like, oh, that's kind of familiar. So let me take a look at this again. And But then that, that there might be some kind of aspect within it that can take them somewhere new. Um, yeah, I mean, because a lot of the stuff, you're kind of speaking a Harvard Business Review of identity and identity and design in like the 21st century. Because right. I feel like, and this is the thing too, where I was talking about where like a brand can exist and make cool clothes, but now... You know, and what I think Good Fight does, and and obviously, like the stuff you're talking about, is more about ushering in the entire medium of fashion and language of fashion mm-hmm. than a specific piece. You know, and this is great because I'm, go- you know, you didn't mention, oh man, when we made the mesh short, mm-hmm. you know, when we did that mesh short with the military pocket, that was, you know, we make. Me- it's like no, no, no. Like this is you, you haven't mentioned a single product. Mm-hmm. It's 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 how you think about clothes and what you want this industry to evolve to is what I think is the most, you know, refreshing of all. I think our our core belief is that our understanding of perfection is imperfection. Um, I went to this lecture one time from this uh, amazing motion graphics guy um, who I think studied under Saul Bass. And I remember him saying that all art, and I'm spacing on his name because he's a uh, Kyle something. Kyle Cooper? Kyle Cooper. He's an amazing, he's also like a legendary uh, motion graphics guy. He he did the he did the title sequence for like seven and some of like the most iconic. I googled that. That's how. Yeah, I yeah. There you go. Just, that's, you know, that's, I'm not smart. That's, um, <laughs> check him out though, uh, and he's awesome. Okay. And he talked about how all art imitates life, 
and that actually the more perfect something is, the more unnatural it is, right? But that as motion graphics, as CGI's, different kinds of things have gotten better, it's gotten better at mimicking imperfection. And I think for us, mm. like that's kind of like part of our brand ethos too, is that like we believe in this idea that like sometimes I think also like even within fashion as kind of like kids, like we're all kind of like you mentioned before, like we're all shop kids. Um, I think kids that kind of came in, maybe it's a traditional route in some sense, but also like a non-traditional route of like, we're not, um, our, our designer actually, he, he did go to fashion school to be trained in, in design, but at the same time, like we don't come from Parsons or like a traditional school or anything like that. Um, we haven't done all the shows and, and things like that. And yet we're able to kind of like sit in the places that we sit at, um, and, uh, by being ourselves. And I think like that's having the opportunity to do that has also been the blessing of of getting that cosign um, from other players and stuff like that within our industry. And but at the end of the day, like the brand is it's like you said, it's we've never been a brand that's been about like product because our product's always going to change. Like if you will notice, like our seasons change right. very drastically from season to season. We've only started actually having a little bit more of a through line in, in terms of like kind of core product. But at the end of the day, like our, our brand's about people. Um, like all the things that we have, the t-shirt that you're wearing, the books that you have on your shelf, the thing that you keep in your closet that like you've, you've had everywhere that you've been, it only has meaning because of the meaning that we give to it. Um, one, so go ahead. Well, and this is great because I think, you know, the, the thing about good fight from other people I know who are in the fashion industry, you guys are in a way, and I apologize for like throwing these labels out to you and put them back at me if you dislike it. But you're kind of like a post-fashion brand in the sense that like right now, the biggest fashion brand is Balenciaga, mm. right? Everybody is obsessed with Balenciaga. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. Great. Okay, take that file away. But the people that are sort of the tastemakers that are kind of shepherding uh, intentionally or unintentionally what fashion is and what it means mm. now are all people who are like champions of good fight mm. and love you guys mm. and from editors and writers and other stuff like that. And then also like, you know, real heads. Um, but if you guys are constantly changing, like you were saying, in terms of the product, what is it that you're able to do to like progress the brand? Because mm. I know mm. that there are other people that are going to hear this. They're going to be like, well, great. Like, but I'm trying to make a name mm. for myself or I, I want, you know, I have this shirt and it sold well. Do I get rid mm -hmm. of it? You know, like, you know, what are the, the things that you would kind of say to guide yeah. them a little bit forward? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and uh, let me start off with, um, the disclaimer of like everybody's path is different. And, um, mm. you know, Andrew, you, Andrew used to tell me that our industry is, um, 20% hard work, 80% luck. And this is coming from somebody who works like it's 90% hard work. All right. Mm. Um, but the reality is, is also like everything is also like as much as we can do everything that we can do. But at, at the end of the day, there's also kind of a convergence of, um, good fortune and you hope that mm. all the things that you kind of put forth and all the things that you work on will kind of like have that moment to kind of get that big break. And that's, you know, the, the hard work is what goes into like, are you actually ready when the break comes? And again, not to say that like mm. we've gotten our big break, like we are, we're a very small brand. Um, we're independently funded. And so we've always been trying to do some stuff, everything like step by step organically. But going back to your question, I think that, um, 
for us personally, I think that our content has been changed. Um, it's not, this is not to say like, oh yeah, if you have like a good thing, should you just throw it away? That's not necessarily what we believe in too. We have core styles that we draw on all the time and we try to be attentive to. Um, I think we just always have a commitment to exploration and that mm. again, like I think that's specific to our brand in terms of who we are and um, what our identity is, even as individuals and the way that we design and the way that we think about things. Um, and I think because of that, like our customer expects that from us. I think our customer expects, okay, like what's next for good fight? What's the next thing? What, what's the thing that they're going to do? But at the same time, I think you can kind of maintain other things. Like I think one thing that Julia always talks about is that we are extremely committed to um, like fabrication. Um, I think customers know that when they buy products from us, it's going to feel a certain way. Um, uh, mm. We are extremely um, kind of crazy about like fit and silhouettes and drape and um, different little nerdy things um, when it comes to clothes that maybe sometimes the customer doesn't notice. And maybe sometimes if we're doing our job right, the customer is not going to notice it because it's going to work perfectly, <laughs> right? If a customer notices right, it, then right. sometimes maybe something's wrong. So that is like for us, I think our constant is quality. Our constant is fit. Our constant is also storytelling. Like that's something I think that our customer always expects from us. So I think you can build consistency like any good business needs to have consistency. But I think that there's mm -hmm. ways that you can build it other than just being one thing or just looking one way. And again, it's different for everybody. And that's just the path that we decided to take. And also because like, that's what's more fun for us. I think this goes back to like our background um, at OC. Um, so part, so the funny thing is like tie in with a few of the things that you mentioned before. Um, I took a break from fashion after a while because I wanted to learn more about design. I started working for, um, for <laughs> I started working for one of Will Smith's creative directors. So I was working for the Smith family, huh? really bizarre. I, I know it's like okay. really random. I was a personal assistant to one of like the creative directors, which just means like I do everything from helping him put together decks to like picking up his car, you know, and like literally sometimes, uh, which was really exciting too, because, you know, when you're scrapping and you're a young kid and you're eating like 99 cent, like Carl's Jr. burgers, and you get to drive <laughs> somebody's Range Rover to, to Will Smith's compound. That's pretty fucking cool. So <laughs> that yeah, was that true. was a great that's experience true. for me. And um, <laughs> my old boss, Drew Fitzgerald, who is one of Will's partners in in the Just campaign. If you ever see like the Just Water, those those like blue mm -hmm. bottles, like we help. Well, that's Drew's project, and I, and I helped with the sampling and the the creation of of that thing. To, so to actually see it in 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 real life now is is so cool. Um, I mean, I've only a very very tiny part in terms of the you know genesis of that but um but what i was going to say was that at, at oc um the way that i ended up getting to work there was i was trying to pivot a little bit that was the first time i tried to run away from fashion i'm sorry that the will smith thing was the second time i tried to run away from fashion right so the first time i tried to run away from fashion i took a break and when i finally came back and i wanted to get back in the game i talked to johan and at first i had tried to get a job at club monaco because one of my friends had told me, if you get a job at Club Monaco, maybe you can become a buyer because my friend's a buyer there. He just buys knits and he makes $90,000 a year. And he just like picks what scarves and stuff like that he wants to get. And if you go to Club Monaco, if you move your way up the ranks, then wow. you can start working for Ralph Lauren. And that's how yes, you can get Because they were at the time, they were owned yes. by Ralph Lauren. So right? that's yeah. like what I thought. My, okay, I was like, this is my path to kind of like success and finding some. At the time, again, like I was still just completely on the retail level. 
I go on an interview there. I do like a few rounds of interviews. I'm interviewing for like one of the manager positions and things are going really, really well. And then, you know, you don't hear from them for one week, two weeks. I call the check back in. Of course, they tell me they gave the job to somebody else. And I still remember that moment that um, I'm in like a parking structure in Santa Monica and I just got that call and I come call my mom and I start, <laughs> this sounds really sad, but I start crying. Because I think I I was so invested that this into this idea that this was my path to success and mm. like having and, and it felt so close. It's kind of like when you're when you're at the end of like a video game and you're playing the final boss and it's one of those old <laughs> games where you can't save it and the yeah. boss has like two little units of life left and you're about to kill him and then you fucking die <laughs> and that crushing feeling that you have afterwards. Like that's yeah. that's how I felt. And then I remember at that time, my father had wanted me to go work for this pipe company, a stable job. There was somebody that he knew that could actually get me a job in this company that literally like makes pipes. They, they had an office uh, near LAX and, and they supply all different kinds of companies and things like that. So I interview, I get the job, I turn it down. My dad... Was the money good? The money? No, it was terrible. It was, but it was stable. <laughs> okay. It was like entry level. I mean, you know, super, super, super sure. entry level, like job for like a college grad. Um, but, but it was stable and it was, it was a job and, and everything like that. And I turned it down because I was like, I don't want to sell pipes. Like this is fucking wild, right? I, I'll figure, I'll, I'll do anything else. You know, like I had other jobs, I'd figured things out. Um, and I remember my dad didn't talk to me for three days and that never happened to me in my life. I'd always had really fortunate to have two amazing parents and always super, super close relationship with both of them. And I remember when I finally broke the ice with my dad, him telling me that he, the one thing that he regrets in life is not becoming a college professor. His hmm. life aspiration was to teach English literature and be a college professor. What this had to do with a plastic, me working for a plastic company, I couldn't understand the correlation because I literally told him, I was like, dad, that's why I can't go work for this company. Like you have to understand, like, that's why I can't do this. I don't want to look back on my life and suddenly regret the choices that I made because I never tried. I was like, let me try to find my own way. I'm still young. If it doesn't work out, I'll do whatever kind of stable job that needs to be done. I'm not a bum. I work, I work hard. The way that you've mm. always taught me, like, just give me this chance to pursue this thing. So Johan tells me, this is like, hey, you should check out this store opening ceremony on La Cienega. They, they have this, it's a super unique store. It's like each room is merchandised kind of differently. It feels like you're walking through a house. Um, so I go in with my resume and I, I walk in and I'm so intimidated. I literally like turn around. And I like walk out because I'm like, there's no way this place is going to hire me. This place is like way too cool. Right. <laughs> um, but then I muster up enough courage. I go back in and I'm exploring it. And this is at the time when OC and I don't know if you remember around this is around like uh, this is around like 2008. Um, they mm -hmm. had Nike Loop Wheeler. I walk in and you walk in, you see the Sanrio Hello Kitty house. They have Nike Loop Wheeler on the rack in the front. They're one of the only places in the United States that has Nike Loop Wheeler at the time. You go upstairs, there's the Nam de Guerre room, there's the Band of Outsiders room, there's Alexander Wang. Mm. There's all these different Glory kinds days. of things. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> I was like, holy shit, this place is amazing. Um, and the people that were there were like so cool too. So I go and I apply and um, I, uh, I apply and I get rejected. <laughs> 
But it's different this time for some reason, because I'm like, I need to work here. So um, the manager there, Jenny, um, who is like my second mom now, um, she's like, hey, I'm sorry. Like, we don't have any open slots. Maybe come back in a month. So a month later, like, I come back. And she's like, this kid's actually back here, <laughs> right? I got rejected again. So I apply there three times. On the third time, I write her like an email and I'm just like, hey, like, just give me a shot. Like, I, I believe that like, this is for me. I, I know how to work hard. I know what it means to sacrifice. I'm going to be an asset to, to whatever that you guys are doing here. I just want to be part of it. And she mm -hmm. told me later on, she was like, hey, like, I felt like, I felt like if I didn't give you a shot, I was going to miss out on something. So they let me in the door and that's how I started at OC. And OC was so special because, man, at the time, like you remember, man, like I think when I first started working there, they had the, the Uniqlo collaboration that they were doing. Yeah. They started doing um, Timberland. Um, uh, Umberto had reached back and pulled out those, um, those, water, those water shoes um, oh, that they yeah. did back in the day. Um, it was just such... Yeah, it was peak OC was that. And I think that's like right before Kenzo stuff yeah, popped. Yeah, it I was think. before Kenzo. Yeah. It, it was, it was yes. so amazing. We used to see uh, Carol and Berto like all the time um, in the shop. My, my first week working there, I'm working the shoes. That's where they stick you when you first start out in the back. Um, you work the shoe section and you steam all the clothes as they come out of the back stock. And uh, 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 Kanye West walks out. He's coming in. This is, this is the 808s and heartbreaks. High time. He's in a, a gray. This is Michael Bastion suit. Yeah, right yeah, 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 yeah. Gray suit. Yeah, gray yeah. suit with the faux hawk. And he's mm -hmm. in there. And he's shopping and he's like, why are you not playing my music in here? <laughs> I made my music to be played in stores like here. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. That was my first, that was literally my first week at OC. Um, so it was a really special time to be there. Um, Would your folks say when you get the job at OC? Because I, I think, you know, before I, you kind of answered like something that I think happens, especially as you get older, is you realize the fragility and like, like humanness of your parents. Mm. In the sense that I think like when you're a little kid, you kind of think your parents are invincible. Mm -hmm. You if if you have if you're lucky enough to have a good relationship with your parents, mm -hmm. most of the people that have traditionally would almost idolize their parents mm -hmm. that they did this amazing thing. They're totally infallible. And then as you get older and you start to understand maybe the rest of the world, you now start to have this sort of like empathetic relationship with All your right. parents. And to which, you know, you see them like pushing their dreams on you that aren't yours, but they think this is what I wanted that would have made me happy. Mm -hmm. And so here's the formula and it needs to work on you. And all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, like I think my parents might be wrong yeah. about something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what what does that do to you when you start to feel like you're doing the right thing for you? Mm -hmm. Man, that's hard. Um, and this is like, man, this is like such a contrast from like, listening to like Mobilaji's story or like Julie's Sorry. story. <laughs> These like, I, you know, sometimes I like listen to stories like that and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so jealous of the freedom that you guys had. Um, and I wish, I wish I was brave enough. Sometimes I look back and I, and I wish that I was brave enough to kind of like break out earlier, but a hundred percent, like what you're saying is true. At the same time, like, I think like at the same time, I think um, my, credit to my mom my when when that whole situation with the pipe company and everything like that happened like she was the one that actually cooks my dad to be like hey let him try um mm -hmm. which yeah which is kind of crazy she was like let him let him try to pursue his dream and um that was i think a special moment for me um 
kind of like, yeah, like exactly like you said, like me kind of like having that realization that I needed to take a different path and that it was going to be okay. Um, and I knew that it was going to be okay because like, again, like it's the same thing that I told Jenny when I was trying to work at OC, like I was literally willing to do anything. Like I, I had no ego. I, 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 mm. I still, hopefully, I, I, I don't think I do either. Like it, to a certain extent, I think we all have some, a little bit of pride. But oh think, yeah, we all do. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm Mr. Humble, but trust me, I'm an asshole. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're but good. But for me, like I'm, <laughs> I was really down to do anything. Like if right. you need me to, to cut up boxes, to, to, to just, to just steam clothes for, for forever. Like I, that's something my parents always taught me. I think that understanding of what hard, hard work is and that ability mm. to, to, to put my head down and just grind. And to also not have so much pride where like, I think I was willing to do whatever I needed to do. If I had to move back with my parents for a little bit, like I would, I would need to do that or I need to scrap or whatever. Like I had so many crazy stories of different places that I stayed, free rent, working on the same tube of toothpaste to try to make shit work. Even when I was working at OC, <laughs> I was working three jobs at the same time. I was working at OC. Yeah. I was still doing some intern work for 316. And I was writing for an online editorial called Evil Manito. And I was sleeping four hours a night. And that's how I first started there. I was literally four hours a night. I was working seven days a week because I was trying to pursue my dream. I still didn't know exactly what it was. But all I knew was like, I need to do my best at all of this. And part of it is also maybe figuring out what what's not me, what doesn't work, what I don't like, maybe what I'm not good at, and maybe what I, I really like. But I think that that that's what kind of took me there. Have you, I mean, obviously it sounds like you're you're still close with your parents. Yeah. So they know where you're at now. Yeah. Yeah. Are they are they into it? Yeah. I think they finally accepted. I don't think the OC days they accepted what was going on. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Um, again, like I was, that was like, that was my grind out time. Um, I think when I started working for American Rag was, you know, that's when um, it, my situation oh, kind of stabilized a little bit and, and I was making a good salary and stuff like that. Um, that's when they finally were like, oh, okay, like he, he figured this out. Like it's, it's not, it's not just a dream anymore. Yeah. It's not just like him just kind of playing around. It's like, he's got, he's got a real job. So when I became a buyer, so. Uh, do you have any kids? No, no, no kids. Okay. W one thing that I, that's clicked in my head, I have a kid mm -hmm. and I, I have a four-year-old and then I have another one on the way. Congrats. And, um, thanks. Uh, but, um, that like, you know, I think I, I hit an age where I was like really almost like rebellious to my parents mm -hmm. and in the sense um, you know, I remember I like reamed my mom out at a, at a coffee shop in New York mm -hmm. for all the stuff that I really wanted when I was a kid mm. that I didn't get. Mm. And, you know, I, I was not like some deprived little kid. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was stuff I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be like a boy scout, which is like, God, I dodged a bullet there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, all these, <laughs> all these things that like I wanted that I didn't get. And I remember I like, like just read my mom and she mm -hmm. was like, I'm so sorry. She's like, we were just trying our best. Yeah. She's like, we were just trying yeah. our best. And I was like, fuck. Like it just like <laughs> yeah. my head exploded. Oh, and man. now as a parent, a part of me is like, oh man, I want to make sure that my daughter, my son, you know, uh, they're set up and that they're safe yeah. and that they're secure. Yeah. But you know, it sounds like all the stuff that you had, the the skill sets, the the drive, the ethic, all that was stuff that you got from your parents. Yeah. And it's tough because it's like you want to communicate to them where it's like, I'm actually doing what you raised me to do. Right. right. It's just not the path you had. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It's it's tough. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, it's it's funny because even as say like our 
sometimes our, our like views on life, our political views or different kinds of things sure. like that have I diverged a little bit. I remember my mom telling me one time, she's like, oh, I don't know when you, be she's like, I don't know when you became so socialist, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I was like, mom, like everything you taught me has brought me into this point. Like I'm not the way that I am because of like what they taught me in college. All right. Like, I don't even fucking. You know. went to some liberal school. I don't fucking. Messed you up. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I barely remember what <laughs> I learned in college. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. yeah. It's all the things that you instilled in me in terms of, like, yeah, again, like ideas of integrity, ideas of sacrifice, ideas of, um, yeah, all those different kinds of things, like, is what makes me be like, yeah, maybe universal healthcare, like, is an interesting idea. You know, <laughs> like, now the route that we get to it is, uh, we don't need to get into that. That's all different for everybody. Sure. Um, and, I, and I understand also that the problem is not as simple as we'd like to make it. But yeah, like, I was like, I think that that's an interesting idea, not because of college, but because of you, you know? Yeah. Like, so, yeah. So I think that they had that kind of moment. Um, I think that they, I am super, super thankful for so many things that like I learned from them. And I think the one area is just that I wish that I tried, you know, again, like I don't, in a way, sometimes I don't necessarily like blame it on them. Like, I just wish that I, for some things I do, I know that like, you can't take back things and, and we all kind of like move forward and kind of make the most of like what we have and what we've accomplished. But um, I wish that if I could quote unquote, do it all over again, I just wish that I tried more things um, and, and was brave enough to do that. And, and that's what I tell, I have, I have a little brother who's, 19 years younger than me from the same, oh, from the same parents, which is, is a miracle. Okay. And that's yeah. what I tell him all the time is, um, I'm not telling you to go be crazy, but I'm telling <laughs> you like, try things. And one of the big things that you realize too is, and this is the blessing of what our parents have gained from us. It's not that like my parents or our, our parents needed to do it the way that we did it. Like, uh, again, a lot, of, a lot of things is they probably want a lot of the same things that we want. Again, like going back mm -hmm. to my dad's conversation about wishing that he could be a college professor. Um, like this is a man who walks around when he was commuting back and forth between work on the New York subway, he reads the fucking dictionary. All right. You know what he gave me when I was a kid to, to read uh, uh, Brothers of Karamazov. <laughs> I was like in Holy elementary shit. school. I was like, what is this? I was like, I don't understand anything that's going on here. This isn't boxcar children. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's throwing some like top tier Russian literature yeah, at you. I mean, he's like, you know what I mean? Like, and that, that was my dad. That was his passion. So like, we want the same things. But also like, I think we have the wherewithal now to also understand that our parents also maybe didn't have everything that we have. And sometimes like, uh -huh. they just had to survive. They didn't have an opportunity to have the space to do. And um, scarcity mentality versus abundance mentality yeah, yeah. and and um, I think that's the blessing of what they've gained for us and so part of it is in, in kind of taking that power and I think scaring them a little bit <laughs> is part of like you gave me the opportunity to do this and so I'm making the most of it because you couldn't um, and that was I think that was um, yeah that that was that was part of my journey I think you you had mentioned earlier you're like oh I if I could have done it all over again I wish I would have like tried other things mm -hmm. or other, i mean it kind of sounds like you've gotten to try quite a few things and you're also not you know 96 years old like you you're the founder uh, or a co-founder yeah. of a incredible brand you have all this other life experience it sounds like regardless intentional or not you're this mentor uh for people in in terms of how to rethink their business and how to exist and be independent so like are you happy i am actually um, all right. 
and uh, you know, I've, I think the older we get, uh, the more kind of philosophical we get about these things, the more we yeah, have. Like, oh, fuck, what is questions. happiness, man? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, man. And it's like, especially too, I think as the wheels start to come off um, and you wake up in the morning with new pain that you have no idea. Oh. <laughs> I've been struggling with plantar fasciitis since January. Um, oh, are you a runner or were? I, I wasn't, which is the problem is I started running in January. Like I've been, I've always been like really active, but I stopped um, kind of more of the cardio aspect. I was doing like a lot of like, I was, I was boxing, I was doing jujitsu. And then I was doing kind of as the pandemic hit, kind of like a lot of high intensity exercise. Mm. Um, so I started trying to, you know, kind of uh, give back to myself. I started running in January and, and that's how I kind of injured myself. So, but, but I mean, like, I think like, as you kind of go and um, I think come to terms a little bit more and, and not to get super serious, but like come to terms with like our own mortality, like in a sense of like this idea that, and I feel like especially now and especially in light of all the things that are, that are going on um, that like mm -hmm. we can't ignore, um, whether it's a, a broader global sense, whether it's the things that happened this past weekend or that, that are always happening. That's not just, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, uh, uh, specific to that. Um, you start to come to terms with this idea that like, okay, like I'm not going to live forever, but also maybe like, that's not such a bad thing. And maybe that also means like, if I really, I think wrestle with that idea that my time here is limited, like, how do I want to handle myself? And so I think like, I'm happy in the sense of like, one, I think I have a lot to be thankful for, like a lot to be thankful for. But also, too, I think one of the biggest journeys for me personally has been this understanding of becoming more honest with myself and trying to dig deeper within. And, and I think that that's something that, um, like, has been giving me a lot of happiness, has been kind of figuring that out. And like, okay, like, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with that. Um, I'm going to do this, something that maybe I, I never would have done before because I was too scared to do it before. And I think that's what courage is now is, again, it's not about not being afraid, but it's about this idea of, being able to step out and do the things that you feel like you need to do or you want to do um, mm. and um, to be able to kind of move forward in that power. So that's heavy shit. Yeah. Sorry to get super, uh, <laughs> super, super <laughs> philosophical. If you haven't no, watched the it's... movie everywhere, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh, seen it twice. Oh, so good. That's a multiverse movie. Yes. That's, that's a real Marvel movie. That's not a Marvel movie. Yeah. Um, not that I'm hating on Marvel because I love any sort of yeah. superhero story, but yeah, that, but no, it's freaking crazy. I don't even know how to explain it other than like you have to see it, but I definitely went and saw it again. Yeah. Um, it's just, yeah. And it's cool because it, everyone that's in it, it's so non traditional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it is. Um, it is in, in, in the greatest sense of the term. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's so exciting because I get to have these conversations with Christina who, obviously is a partner in our company, but also she works full-time as an agent at CAA. Um, oh, geez. Yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Like a, a real job. <laughs> and she's, I mean... It's a different job. It's a different They're job. They're all real. Yes. 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 <laughs> asterisk, asterisk. Right. So, <laughs> but she, um, I mean, I think she gives us a lot of perspective just from the sense of like, she's handling like, literally we'll be in Paris doing showroom. And she's like on the phone, like closing like a multi-million dollar deal or like on the phone with like the Star Wars team or something like that, you know? Oh, I freaking love that. So like one of the advisors of like, like Blamo, like mm -hmm. media, whatever you want to call yeah. it, like the, the larger thing that we're trying to create comes from a entertainment background. And 
And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of other friends who work in the industry that have tried to uh, encourage me or, you know, and look out for me, whether it's media growth, whatever that is. And the ability to just speak about things so casually Mm -hmm. that to me is like somebody is... Mm -hmm. Is, is breaking down Da Vinci's Last Supper. <laughs> yeah. And they're just talking about <laughs> deals with this and, oh, this is super easy. Yeah. Oh, I know the person over there. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm like, wait, those are the people yeah. that make the movies <laughs> that I watch in my house. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, or, or the things that I see on huge screens yeah. or like the celebrities of this. It's, I always think that's just so freaking cool because yeah. most of the time they're like, oh, was, you know, I listen to this and, and, and I'm like, what you were listening? Like you actually give a shit? Like yeah. you realize that like you're making the world move, and I'm yeah. you know being a goofball. So it's no, that's so yeah, interesting. It's, I mean, I think there's like the, two things to that. One, a little bit behind the scenes at, here at Good Fight, um, we're actually just in the process of moving into a new office. Um, but congrats, you know, through the pandemic, and we started the business literally in like our side room, and it's kind of taken over me and Christina's loft here in in LA. And during the pandemic, Christina was sequestered very quickly to our fabric room because oh, okay. she was trying to do her calls and stuff like that, and she'd be on like a call with so and so, you know, upstairs, and we'd have to be all quiet downstairs as we're like working on like tech packs and 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 looking over <laughs> pa- patterns and stuff like that, and. Uh, so right. she, a lot of people, like when it first started, people were like, where are you? Until she turned her camera around. But what's so interesting too is like literally I'll be pulling fabric for a sample and she'll be in there on the phone with like, uh, like she signed a Ho Young from Squid Game. Yeah. So yeah. we all, we've all watched that, that yeah. crazy show and to literally walk in there and to hear uh, Ho Young's voice, like... <laughs> And my, and my wife just like talking to her so casually. I was like, yeah. I'm like, it just really puts puts everything in perspective. You know what I mean? And you're just like, oh my God, <laughs> what am I doing here? I'm just selling clothes. You know what I mean? Like this is, <laughs> yeah. but, but I think this also opens up like a more interesting question too, in terms of like, again, going back to like this idea of like, you know, like, oh, what's our purpose or our parents proud of us and X, Y, Z. Like, why do we, why do we do what we do? That's also the power of art too. As I, I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, I don't know if you realize it, but you're literally involved in the business that like shapes culture. Like, yeah, especially now, especially yeah. now, especially now in terms of going into the places where you cannot go as a diplomat, as a politician, as a whatever, mm-hmm. even as a businessman, mm-hmm. right? Like one of my good friends from college, she speaks perfect English because she watched Disney movies growing up. So many people like like yeah. grow up and, and they watch The Goonies or they watched um, Seven or um, different kinds of things like that. You know, like that that literally changed the way that they see the world right, because right. of what they saw on the silver screen. So it's like, it, you know, people can say that it's frivolous. People can say that it doesn't matter. But at the same time, like there's so much power that mm-hmm. they hold and is kind of maybe if you want to talk about the responsibility of art go go back to that spider-man reference which i know you'll appreciate that with great power comes great responsibility um (laughs) throw that in there really quick like that's that's what it is in terms of like our industry right so yeah i mean absolutely yeah geez well caleb this has been incredible i'm so so grateful to to gotten chat with you today before we wrap i have a bunch of random non-sequitur goofy questions and things Mm. to discuss with you um these are just straight from the dome, and wherever we go with it, it's fine. Cool. Um, if you were making a YouTube how-to video, what would the subject be? You know what? I, I do think that like a lot of people, like going back to what you're talking about, when you have like a lot of young kids that are trying to start brands um, or 
figure themselves out, I feel like maybe I do kind of like a how-to of like how to talk to people, how to approach people, how to talk to vendors, um, yeah, different things like that of like kind of how to get into the business. Because I think that's, you know, like you mentioned before, I think me being able to try the different things that I've tried and connect with the people that I have, I think that that's what's kind of given me the opportunity is that being able to connect with other human beings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, last movie you saw that you liked? Christina was able to get me into the IMAX pre-screening of Top Gun 2, Top Gun Maverick. Oh. Fucking awesome. <laughs> and so really? important because I think like when I was a little kid, I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And then when I realized that like, yeah, me too. My eyesight was too fucked. Um, I yeah. wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. So I used to watch Top Gun like religiously. I think it's better than the first one, man. Wow. Well, but see, this is tough because the first one didn't have the nostalgia part. And right. I feel like there's a level yes. of nostalgia in this new That's one. That's absolutely true. It's kind of like you a know? Rocky Balboa kind of thing. Mm. How Rocky Balboa yeah. was probably, again, this is very arguable, but from like a very flatline sense, maybe that was like the best Rocky next to Creed. Sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Top Gun 2. Wow. And so watching wow. it in IMAX, because there's so much more with technology and what they can do now. And then watching it in IMAX with the sound and with the screen. And there's so much more kind of in cockpit action that isn't like some model spinning on like a blue screen <laughs> or a green screen, you know, like it's rad. And yeah, the nostalgia they, factor obviously plays into it too, undoubtedly. They stopped production in that movie, mm -hmm. like, or they, they finished the movie in like 2018 or 2019 or something like that. Yeah. It's just been delayed from the pandemic. Yeah. And then they, they finished yeah. it and then... I think they, they finished in the pandemic. Um, oh, right. And then they held on to it because they, they knew they wanted to wait until it could, could, could go to the, to, the, to the big screen, which I think was a good yeah. move. And it's going to, I think when it opens, I think it's opening next weekend. It's going to like yeah. kill the box office. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm psyched for it. I'm, I'm really psyched for it. Um, yeah. I, I finally saw the, the, like any other dork, I saw the Doctor Strange movie I did too. like opening night. I watched, you know? uh, I watched Doctor Strange the day before. By myself. That's a, like, it's oh, a big okay. thing for me. Sometimes like I like to go watch movies by myself. Uh, I go watch at the oh. Alamo Draft House here in LA because you can like order like you can order, order beer, food, and, food chill out. and stuff like yeah. that. So I like to go there real covert styles. Um, <laughs> I love, yeah, Doctor Strange. People are so mad about this movie. And yeah, I mean, people are mad, period. I, well, I, it's a Sam Raimi movie. I enjoyed it. I was, I was just like, "Hey, this is what it is. This isn't Endgame." There, there. Well, did you did you read the comics? Do you know like the story that they reference yeah. and all that stuff? Yeah. Because that's the thing is, everyone's like, "Oh, you know, they're setting up Secret Wars," right. which this that's not a spoiler or anything that I said right. whatsoever. Yeah. And um, so yeah, they're setting that up. Mm -hmm. I think it's just the biggest thing that caught people off guard is that you could see when the reshoots happened. Oh. And you know, like, because that movie, I think. I don't know every bit of details and more and stuff has come out about it, but it was like, apparently the original cut was not good and they oh. did quite a bit of reshoots way later. Um, yeah. Sad. So whatever. Who cared? I, I thought it was fun. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Like the Eternals. Um, I, again, I don't oh, think- Oh, Eternals, hold yeah, on. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't think it was a perfect movie. I'm not here to say that it was a good movie, but I think sure. for me right now, there's just not as many people doing like high fantasy and things like that. Yeah. And obviously because it costs a lot of money too. And I have completely had my fill. Like when I'm watching stuff at the end of the day, like I think we have so much to deal with in real life that I, I try, I do watch everything, but at the same time, you know, obviously like Christina, especially she's constantly, she's about to go to like Cannes on Wednesday. Um, oh, right. Like 
we'd watch all the serious stuff and all the really gritty stuff and all the stuff that's like kind of real life. But again, that's why I really love Black Panther. And that's why I think Go Black on. Panther is such a sneaky, amazing movie. Because people don't realize that Black Panther is, um, it's not just a superhero movie, but it's, it's, and, and I'm hesitant to talk about this, and, but because like, because I'm, I'm not black, but it, it's, it's this, it's a story about the third culture experience. And I think right. I can empathize okay. with it again as a third culture kid. As can you s- describe what a third culture person is j- for folks who don't know what they what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, so it's um, it's I guess broadly I haven't really thought about this academically, but it's kind of like you know for me um, being raised um, even though I was born here in the U.S. You know my first language was Chinese, and I went to I had right. to go to ESL uh, when I first went to school and. I didn't understand what anybody was saying, the kind of family that I was, uh, uh, at the same time, like here in the U.S., I'm not always considered American. Um, people right. see me okay. as other. And then when I go back to Asia, I'm not considered Asian. <laughs> I'm considered American. Right. And so it's this kind of like, which was, again, kind of going back to what I first talked about, is that struggle, I think, that I deal, uh, I've dealt with a lot that I, I, again, going back to, again, what I said about like Good Fight being a living document, I feel like, again, Good Fight is also kind of like this discovery, this constant like discovery mm. and more and more of like what it means to like what we want to bring people to the table. Um, I think the whole beauty of third culture identity is this ability to kind of walk between worlds. And it used to frustrate the shit out of me because I always, as a kid, you want to fit in, right? You don't want to be called weird or you know thought of in certain ways or whatever and i could never find a place for myself you know and i tried Mm. to even when i tried to find it in other kind of like subversive things whether that was music or things like that i also still wasn't finding anything that felt like me right Right. i thought that i was alan iverson when i first started going to college (laughs) because that's what i wanted to be you know so i had my i had my phase of of Uh of all all the gear and the chains and the yeah. everything because that's who I admired. But at the same time, that that still wasn't me. Um, and I remember the first time that I first started becoming more comfortable in my own skin. I remember the first time like I tried on a Junior Watanabe jacket. And I was like, going back to kind of the nerdy part of what we do. I was like, holy shit, this jacket fits me. And oh, oh my God, like I opened up this lookbook. And there's people that look like me wearing these clothes. And I put on these pants and it's actually cropped to the height that is right from my body. Because whenever I try to wear things a lot of times um, that were normal for the people that I grew up around, it always felt didn't exactly work for me. You know what I mean? And so I think finding that in between and finding where you can kind of take a little bit of this and that um, without being a cultural vulture, but also I think from the perspective of kind of like finding something new, but then also like dealing with that tension of feeling the disconnect. Like, um, so again, I'm going to go back to Black Panther really quickly, but there was one thing I want to touch about. You're okay. Uh, the, the good fight thing is, so the Black Panther thing is that like the main character of that story is not um, T'Challa. It's, it's, it's a Killmonger. The movie starts out in Oakland, right? And it's, yeah. it's literally yeah, yeah. about a displaced individual who doesn't even realize that he's from kind of like another world, another almost like a universe, and that he's like, a, not just anybody, he's a prince, right? And Within the film, it's this kind of conflict of him trying to rediscover that identity. And that's something even Ryan Coogler went through. Um, he talks about going through as he, uh, I think Kendrick even talked about it too, when he was working on the soundtrack for the film, going back to Africa for the first time and rediscovering that. And yeah. this the film is so awesome and so fantastical and so rad with all the special effects and everything like that. And also in terms of 
trying to express ideas that were not African from a Western perspective, but African from an African perspective, I think was what they were hoping to try to do. And um, not just kind of like putting things out on someone else's terms, um, on colonial terms, as as uh, mm-hmm. uh, Shuri would say, the colonizers. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's that film is so powerful. So when you hear the music, I don't know if you remember that scene in Infinity Wars when they got to do something and Captain America is like, they're like, oh, we got to do this thing. Like, who has the technology to actually accomplish it? And, and like, Captain America is like, I know a place we can do it. And suddenly, all of a sudden, it's like oh, and you Wakanda, hear Wakanda and you stuff. hear the music and you yeah. see, you see Chadwick Boseman, you see him walking up and just even with his, like, his gait, He's got that Black Panther walk and then you hear the music. And when I was watching that film, which was like fucking raw, right? I don't know if you felt like this way. Like, yeah. But like my legs are shaking because there's nothing sacred in that film. Like people were dying and all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff is happening. When you see that part in that film, I don't know how it was when you watched it. My entire theater just started cheering, almost like fucking oh, standing yeah. a, a, a ovation. And it took me out of the film in a good way. Like there's sometimes when you get taken out of the film when actor breaks character, he messes up his accent or something like that. And you're like, oh, that's an actor. I'm suddenly kind of taken back to reality. It took me out of the film in such an amazing way where it was like Black Panther reminded me, took me to somewhere special, but at the same time, didn't take me to some fantasy that was detached from what was going on here in real life in terms of what we wrestle with. And in that brief moment in in, um, Infinity War, when suddenly you see Wakanda, I was like, oh shit, I remember what matters. I'm remembering what matters. And at the same time, I'm still in this universe. I'm still in Wakanda. I'm still seeing everything that's here. But at the same time, it's a reminder to me like, oh, it's not just about the movies. It's not just about like superheroes and fantasies and, and, and kind of imaginary things. There's like a real struggle that's going on outside this movie theater right now, maybe inside this movie theater too that we're all wrestling with and we're all trying to find our place in. And that's still there. And that's, the, I, to me, that's what was so powerful about that movie. Whether or not like people interpret it as a perfect movie or not, that's why it's so important, you know? More than just seeing, people always talk about, I think like seeing someone that looks like them, like even like I mentioned that in terms of like the Junior Watanabe thing. But sometimes yeah. I think it's almost more about kind of digging deeper in terms of creating space or kind of like creating a shock to the system that kind of like opens our mm-hmm. eyes a little bit more. Um, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I think that's, you know, it makes me want to go back and rewatch Black Panther first off, because I saw it in theaters, but I haven't seen it again since I, you know, I remember people losing their shit over it. And I also, you know, and in, in, in Infinity War too, I remember when, um, um, yeah, when they go, when they go to Wakanda. And by the way, if, if I just, we just spoiled Infinity War for you, like, sorry, <laughs> it's been out, it's been out for a while. But, um, but like, yeah, there's, I think that's the, the thing of superhero movies and more importantly, stories mm. that really help people um, escape and then reinsert themselves into reality with a different perspective. Because so much of storytelling, and this is why Star Wars was so good. It's mm. like just the concept of like the hero's right. journey, right? Where like you, you go and you learn and you're changed and you return it, you know, and being able to remove yourself from your situation, whether it's, you know, pain or w- whatever that is, mm-hmm. but being able to escape into something else and going on the journey with that character, you can never a hundred percent escape the world. Mm-hmm. 
you're able to do that a little bit from it. And so you you get the perspective of what the character experience is. And then the weight of that experience is so much heavier because now there's, I mean, this is like what you're talking about with your mm-hmm. parents, right? Now there's like this empathetic mm-hmm. connection, right? Absolutely. That like you, th- this shared frustration. And even as, um, you know, a, a white person mm-hmm. who I've never been persecuted for my ethnicity or anything, I've been made fun of, but like I, I have... I have no understanding of of prejudice of stuff that that uh, minorities and and uh, other people have like been persecuted to. You had an understanding because I fell in love with these characters so much that when they hurt, you're hurting. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's a thing too that when when you start to see how that actually exists in the real world, yeah. you're like, holy shit! Like, and and it's made me want to be to ask more questions and to try to to really listen than then just say, well, like, I don't think you're right. Mm. You know, and that's the thing when like, I don't know what comedian said it. It might've been like Hassan Minaj or whatever, when he was like, Hey, I, I know how we can fix the whole world. Like we should all watch black Panther together. <laughs> like, like he basically just like talked about like how a movie like that yeah. w- would just unite everyone because we all love superheroes. And like that, that's really what we're battling against is, is acceptance. And yeah, and you know uh love and and <laughs> so no i mean i, I think that know. that's the thing I, I mean and even though he might have kind of like partially said that as a joke i think there's some truth in that in the sense of like oh absolutely like we did a season um fall winter 19 was called familiar piety and it was a season that was inspired by chefs on break and how every international city that you go to in the alleyways you'll always see kind of like chefs like crouched in the alleyway, smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. on their cell phone. And they're usually wearing like an apron, but each one is kind of dressed differently. But maybe they have a t-shirt or they have like a sports jersey of like their favorite sports team or everything else. And that's kind of like what inspired that season of this idea of yeah. how everyone kind of has a personal story that they take along in their struggle. And yeah, we also centered around the fact that food has this kind of like powerful, um, how food has a power to to bring disparate people to a table together. Um, And Mm -hmm. how, you know, it's funny because I think that's one of the big things that we lost in the pandemic, which is again, ironic that we're standing on the precipice of another world war, Um, potentially, (laughs) I hope not. Um, But that what was lost was this ability to walk into a random place and share a table with somebody or share a counter with somebody. Like, I don't know if like you ever had like the opportunity, especially like going to Asia, going to different kinds of oh, i've been to wet markets in hong kong and stuff and yeah and you and you're sitting incredible. there and you're just kind of like oh like suddenly like literally like the the plane is 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 leveled and mm-hmm. you're just there as kind of like a partaker as like as a learner right and mm-hmm. like we always talk about good fight as a bridge in terms of like our hope our hope is to bring different people to the table together people who maybe don't even necessarily agree on things people that mm. that that like the eternals and people that don't like the eternals <laughs> um to the table and there's a reason there's some there always has to be something that brings them together because at the end of the day like we can all stand on different sides and shout at each other right or we can come together and not not assimilate not acquiesce not have to be anything different than we actually are we can be mm-hmm. ourselves, but like what we try to show in Good Fight is it's not like one thing taking over the other. It's not one thing erasing the other. Um, our Eastern influence and our Western influence are not mutually exclusive. 
it's this idea that when you take two things that sometimes feel paradoxical or that feel dissonant and they come together, they actually create something really amazing. Right. And yeah, I mean, we're stronger together than, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, and this idea that like exactly what you were saying before, where it's like, we have so much to learn from each other. Like we have yeah. so much to learn from each other. Like, like even I'm so curious now, even like outside of this, like I hope to be able to catch a drink with you or, or a meal with you and to be like, what was it like trying to become a musician in New York? Like fucking <laughs> hard, you know what I mean? Like yeah. such, yeah. such a crazy journey. And how did that take you to fashion, you know, or talking about, you know, where is fashion going right now? Or what do you think about film or blah, blah, blah. Like this is the thing where it's like, we might not agree on things, but at the same time, like it changes and, and, and these are the things that kind of change you. I remember asking, uh, I was talking to Chris Gibbs one time because, you know, we used to be neighbors. He was mm -hmm. in the shop hanging out. And I was like, yo, Chris, what do you think about all these other businesses coming to LA and opening up stores? This is before the pandemic. This is when I was like, maybe like 2006, 2015, 2016. So many people were coming and, and opening stores in, in LA. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember what he said to me that just like shook me. He was like, you know what, man? I'll never try to judge another man's business. I'm just trying to figure out my own. And I was like, isn't that fucking damn. crazy? Like Chris Gibbs <laughs> is on such, he's, he's on such an elevated level yeah. level. And he's so humble about yeah. everything that I actually feel like he's like, like he's detached from all reality and in, in the best possible way in the sense that like, you know, he's playing chess and, and everyone else is playing checkers. Like he just, he knows mm -hmm. what he's doing. He's built a great mm -hmm. business. He's, a hundred percent aware of the rest of the world that exists outside of yeah. his business. And he's content. And that is the thing that's like the most, you know, if, I mean, to tie this back to fashion and everything yeah. else in, you know, when people talk about like love and 316 mm -hmm. and all this stuff, it's like, yeah, because they're not trying to be a hundred million dollar brand in two mm -hmm. years. They're like slow growth, recognizing that longevity will always be far more important than any sort of hype. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and just being content with little incremental growth that happens over time. Yeah. And like someone like Chris Gibbs, he's very aware of that. He knows what it means to not own his own business. Mm -hmm. He knows all the bullshit that comes from owning your own business mm -hmm. and not trying to just like, you know, get the world in a day. Yeah. And I think that is an I don't know if it's spirituality or what that is that keeps him grounded. Mm. I mean, and him and I, we've had we've had a bunch of chats like off the mm. record that I've been like peeling my brain <laughs> yeah. from the ceiling after we're yeah. done, where I'm just in awe of his of his genius and you know, because for him he always ties it back to just being like, I got kids mm -hmm. and I'm trying to keep this world, you know, and and be sane and like be able to like take care of my kids. Yeah. And the fact that like his drive is not the Patek Philippe, it's yeah. not the G-Wagon, it's not any of these other things surrounded in a city where that's thrown at you more than ever. Mm -hmm. It's just that like, I just want my kids to have a good education. Yeah. You're just like, Yeah, fuck. yeah, yeah. But that's that's the beauty. I think like he's playing in chess, <laughs> Yeah, just being himself. Again, kind of coming back yeah. to this idea of like finding who you are. And at the same time, like yeah. that's what also makes Union special too. I think like at one point Union mm -hmm. was so important in Los Angeles because it was kind of like that one outlet for all those special brands that you couldn't get anywhere else, which obviously is, has has changed as the industry has, has evolved, but also they've evolved mm -hmm. at the times. And at the same time too, it was kind of like you were saying before, even of this idea of like as a brand, like you can't just make stuff. Like one of the things that makes me so happy is, and, and, and Chris, if you're listening to this, don't. 
don't don't feel any pressure to always keep it like this way, especially not from me. <laughs> but uh, 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 but just walking into the store and he's got these LCD screens up on the wall and it's playing the news. Yeah, <laughs> and that's so sick. I fucking love that. You know what I mean? Like what he's trying to do uh-huh. as an organization, as a brand, is not detached to like where he exists on this plane in this world. Mm-hmm. Understanding that like we don't live in a vacuum, and I'm like, that is so sick. You know what I mean? And he goes out with his staff to go like clean up the city periodically just to like keep them all grounded. Like that's, you know what I mean? Like, you know, for us, like my wife, like when we first started the band, she was always like, what's what's success to you? And I was like, man, like, I'm not sure. She was like, you know what success is to me? And I was expecting her to be like, because she's the she's she's usually the, the money person. She's the making sh- she's like making yeah. sure we're actually like not killing <laughs> annual ourselves. revenue exceeding blank, yeah. blank, blank. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She's the red pen, you know, person. So but she said, if in 10 years, someone that used to work for us goes on and becomes more successful than we are, can and, ca- oh, wow. and carries our same DNA of integrity, of kindness, of paying the people that we work with that our vendors and the people that sell our clothes and different things like that properly and like treat customers with respect. Like if someone keeps on that DNA and goes and is more successful than us, then we succeed. Cause like our designer, Calvin, he says all the time, like if what we're trying to do dies with us, like we failed, you know, like right, that was right. cool. Like that's fine. But like this thing's it's bigger than us, you know? Um, right. It, as, and as, as small as it is in terms of like this little corner of 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 the earth that we have you know and she's like by the way i'll be back in 10 minutes i gotta go yeah, see yeah, star wars yeah, movies yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah at the same time she's like literally like yeah it's great it's um That's she's like cool. you want to come to can with me i was like i wish i could <laughs> wait why aren't you going come well, on we man. have a uh, we actually have an event this weekend and then also like we're in the process of so after five years, oh, we're yeah, you're finally moving, moving you're... into a new space. We're going to actually have a little retail space there too. Um, nice. Which is that's great. going to be exciting because as of right now, people in the US, they always ask us if there's a store they can go to and we always have to direct them to Dover and Union, which is cool uh, again. Yeah, that's a, that's a nice no, place yeah. to be able it's, to it's... say like, oh, just the two best retail <laughs> stores. <laughs> again, a huge blessing. Um, right. The story actually of even getting into Dover is 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 kind of wild but um, well, go for it what happened so when we first started the brand you know we we went and kind of gave our best effort um julia uh worked and all continues to work as a stylist um so one uh, another stylist that she worked under um uh karen kaiser um who's mm-hmm. again also an amazing person too is was very good friends with daphne sables who used to run uh you know cdg dover streets communications and, and and PR and stuff, right? So she had sent yeah. our lookbook over to Daphne. Daphne had sent it over to the buying team. Say like, hey, check this out. This is a new band that's starting out. Um, at the same time, we had just like bombed Vogue with like, you know, doing those like 46 different emails that like somebody sent to us, just widespread this <laughs> to like everybody that we can. And uh, interestingly enough, Tani had actually uh, reached back out to us, forwarded us over to Michael Faluzzi, who then sent us over to Edward Barsamian and had us actually, we had just done a showroom in New York City, which we were trying to get people out to. And um, we actually got back to LA and then flew straight back to New York to go to One World Trade and show Vogue our first collection. So after that, we go back um, to LA and all of a sudden we get an email from one of the buyers, Marissa, um, 
at Dover Street who's like reaches out and is like, oh, like, you know, can you come by and show us the stuff? And I was like, oh, we're actually back in LA. But I'm just like, at this point, I'm like, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll come back if you want. She's like, no, 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 it's fine. Because, <laughs> um, you know, like for us, it was like when we first started making clothes, well, like it was not our intention or any part of our imagination that we'd ever get to work with Dover. You know, fast forward five yeah. years, we're doing an archive collection for them just for, and for, we're in all six of their stores internationally. Um, and uh, she was like, no, no, don't come. Uh, we'll just see you next season in Paris. And I was like, oh, damn, we missed, missed our chance. Right? <laughs> Maybe we should have lingered in New York or something, right? Next season, right. our first Shit. showroom in New York, or, uh, in Paris. This is our first showroom ever. They actually reach back out and they come back out. Dover Street comes back out with a few of the international buyers to come to our showroom. We saw them. We saw uh, uh, Jackie and Ricky from Road and Gray. We saw um, uh, the guys from Essence, a few other people like that, um, a handful of people that came by. Um, and uh, we come back months of silence. <laughs> Don't hear from anybody, right? And, you know. Silence after you hit them up? Silence or after just... you hit them up to do the follow-up. Hey, how's okay. it going? Do you need any yeah. other information? Et cetera, et cetera. Hope this finds yes, you well. Hope this, exactly. You know exactly how that email goes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hate that shit, but I yeah, do yeah. We all yep. have to do. We all have to do the song and dance at some point, right? So mm -hmm. I'm back with one of, we're back with one of our friends and we're eating at a place in Silver Lake. And we're just like, okay, well, that, that, that just didn't go anywhere. We spent all this money to go to Paris. <laughs> Um, whatever, like we we know what we're still trying to do. We we're kind of rationing our funds decently, so we still had some runway. And I'm meeting up with my old friends, um, Makoto Tachibana, and his best friend. One of his best friends had just committed suicide, and so he's just in this different space. And he's like, "Why do you guys do what you do?" And I remember telling him, "Like, hey, man, like you know what? Like we just went to Paris. We've done all this stuff. This is our second season. It's like our first season of trying to like show it to buyers." We know what we stand for, and we hope that we can make a little bit of a change in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, even if we failed, like at least we tried, and we're gonna keep on going as long as we can. And literally at that same second, my phone flashes, and it's an email from Marissa saying, "Hey, we're so sorry this took a while, but uh, we're happy to place our first order with you guys." And that was our first Bam. order that we ever got. From any retailer. Um, so your first. <laughs> yeah. Dover, New York. Shout out Dover, New York. Shout out uh, James, um, Marissa, Eileen, um, the, all the, the old Ari, Maddie, all the old crew there. But here's the thing. And, and I want to call this out mm -hmm. too, because people do like stick their neck out for folks and people actually take pity on people. But when it's their job. Mm -hmm. It's very different, you know, because I know I've talked to people in the past. And they're like, yeah, we just lucked out. Like, it, we were so lucky. Like, and you're like, no, no, no. Like, obviously, what you what you did and what you were mm -hmm. making was was so good enough that Dover actually was like, oh, we could make money mm -hmm. off of this, right? And I'm not belittling them mm -hmm. in the slightest. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that, like, it's testament to what you made and created. But the biggest thing, and this is where people ask me this all the time, and I try to give advice to people and try to abide by this by myself, where it's like, your reputation, mm -hmm. you can't, like, th th it's the most important right, thing. Absolutely. And I think the fact that, like, you all had existed and there's a lot of circles of other people who knew you and could say yes. good things about you and all that, like, I mean, that that's that's it. And that in combination with the fact that you're making clothes that were yeah. dope, 
Um, I mean, I'm sure helped. We had so much support. Like, yeah, like you said, from yeah, and and but you earned it Mm -hmm. though from the stuff that whether it was eating the shit at some place that you didn't want to be, or you know, just like humbling yourself at any other place like that. That matters. Mm -hmm. Like if if a positive word from Chris Gibbs about how he knew you or any of that stuff mm-hmm. like that, that matters in your reputation. And I think all that stuff that you guys did, I mean, that's that's why you're good and successful. Yeah. It's just actually one of my try, trying to maintain my that. buyers at Dover <laughs> um, actually, uh, and he's doing great right now. Actually, he has, he just relaunches online, but he had a brand before um, that he came and showed me the brand when I was at American Rag. And I always made it like my policy of like, hey, like treat everybody with respect. You don't know where mm. people are going to end up. Sometimes you don't have mm-hmm. time to answer every single email, but try to give everybody their due. And I remember um, like kind of giving him uh, his time and, 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 and looking at his collection. And even though I didn't pick it up at the time, just because we had a lot of other kind of similar brands in, in the store at the moment. Um, years later, fast forward, he's our buyer at Dover. <laughs> and it's like, oh, oh good shit. thing I did not fuck that up. <laughs> See? See? Yeah. I mean, that that's the stuff I'm trying yeah. to be. But it's like, yeah. you know, but it's not like you you operated with that mentality mm-hmm. in a selfish way because I'm like, oh, I need to be nice to all these people because I need them to help mm-hmm. me later. It's just like, no, just be a nice person. Yeah, because also that, like <laughs> at the end know? of the day, when you take all this stuff apart, it's like, what do we have left? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, all the stuff you know, like we're man, like shout out, like you know, shout out Austin, uh, Jacob from WSJ, Gian, um, like all these other guys, like in New York in the industry, um, Joe Sadler and Derek Busey from Quest, like Yuki from Yucatan, like all these guys that supported us uh, and gave us a shot. Um, funny story was also like we almost got into um oc um but ended up not getting into there and and then and got into dover and obviously you know um again so so much love for uh oc and everything that that we learned there that we carry in our dna uh but you know obviously like we're really lucky to kind of like be where we are right now with where with the partners that we have so right right damn this this is really really good (laughs) um it's funny because one of the questions that I try to ask everyone is like a movie or book that when someone mentions you feel they understand mm. you. And your your rant of Black Panther, I feel like, <laughs> was the thing. Oh, well, um, my favorite movie is Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's yeah. Labyrinth? Guillermo del Toro. What? That's, I mean, oh, I'm very yeah. familiar. I mean, Guillermo is the freaking godfather. But like, what what about Pan's Labyrinth? Just, I mean, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, reconciliation underdog redemption stories that I feel like kind of run through the pattern of the things that you, I, I think you're, you. Yeah. Love. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, that's true. Definitely. to like a certain sense from like AI to <laughs> the Steph Curry, <laughs> two very different, yeah. two very, very different individuals, different paths too. Uh, yeah. Um, yes. two majorly different. Um, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. I feel like Pan's Labyrinth is actually a little bit different because a lot of times I think like people like certain things or like certain players or like certain books because they see some of themselves in it. Mm -hmm. I don't think I like Pan's Labyrinth because I see it as something that's reflective of anything necessarily within my own life. I think that film is so compelling and so fantastical in the way that Guillermo weaves 
fantasy and reality and kind of like this mind fuck of like, wait, wait what, what's real right now? Is the fawn real? Yeah. Is obviously on the, in the backdrop There's, of the Spanish Civil War and the realities yeah. of the, uh, the horrors of that. Like what is real? And I think like the power of that film has just always just like shaken me. I remember one time I was like literally in like a tea shop in Westwood and they had like a little TV screen that they put movies on that like sometimes people pay attention mm-hmm. to or not. They had put on Pan's Labyrinth and literally because everybody's in there they're either like talking with friends or they're studying, right? It's like a college campus offshoot, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I remember looking around and I was just watching the film. I'd already seen it and I was watching the film. And I, and That's a wild movie I know, to have on just in like the background, in a by the way. There's some like, yeah, like what stuff is going on, yeah. right? The part with a bottle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shit. So like I stepped back and I'm looking around and I'm like, everybody stopped what they were doing. Literally the person who's like shaking tea on the side is like stopped like mid shake and they're all watching the film. And I think that the power of that, I feel like I've had a few moments of like that in my life. The other time I was watching the Lakers Pistons series, I think it was game three or game four, standing outside of the college rec center, watching a TV through the glass and seeing Mm. Kobe hit a three over Rip Hamilton to send the game into overtime and hearing the entire campus, what sounded like all of LA erupt and being like, whoa, (laughs) there's something bigger than me that's going on right now. And I need to just like kind of touch it somehow. And I think like Pan's Labyrinth has that kind of like same kind of feeling where it's kind of like, this is something that's like, it's bigger than me. It's, it has a power that I can explain. And I think as humans, like we're always trying to explain things and have power over them and control them. But like, this right. is like, you can't, you can't explain it. It's just too crazy, you know, <laughs> you know, um, which, you know, which is again, like, yeah, if like you go back into people talking about Virgil and um, what he did at LV, I feel like was not about, oh, Virgil's, there's a guy that looks like me that is in that position now. Yeah. What Virgil was doing at LV and and me and Jacob talked a little bit about this the last time we were in New York. Uh, I was in New York. Um he was saying that the world that you have always perceived to be this way is not that. This is this is how I believe like he talks about he talks about doing photo shoots, you know, when he was still doing the podcast with Lupe Fiasco in Chicago and doing photo shoots right, of like right. take Ivy, but imagining like take Ivy in in Chicago like with black people and being like, this is not, this is not a dissonance. This is reality as it can be, you know, um, as I mean, Joshua Kissy, uh, who's now a director, but uh, was a photographer who was like part of the street etiquette crew that did the first like black Ivy with Ouija, uh, Brooklyn circus and all that. I mean, they Virgil, I don't know what the extent of their relationship was at the 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 highest you know level of Virgil's um, ascendance, but like they were close. And I mean, he it was cool to see how it feels like because of of where Virgil came mm-hmm. from and what he experienced. Like he, there was this source sense of um he he was open to people from any different sort mm-hmm. of level or notoriety mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, he was running like the Kanye <laughs> blog, you know, like, like the, I don't even remember what it was called, but like the college dropout stuff yeah. where it was like vibe check of just cool yeah. things. Like, you know, like he, he understood it the way that I feel like all the people who are really shaping fashion right. now kind of like grew up and understood. And, and I think I'm trying to just say it. In the yeah. Best yeah. Way. No. Yeah. And I mean, like, that's the thing is that like, I think that, 
obviously we know within every every industry there's kind of like gatekeepers right and there's kind of people that are kind of like the kingmakers and the people that establish xyz in terms of like how the world is and whether you like his design or not again that's that's open to everybody we it's it's a subjective industry that's fine you know what i mean like everyone Mm -hmm. can have their own opinion on it like he was trying to redefine the landscape for all Mm -hmm. of us and um and that's i think what was so crazy about what he was doing and that's the hole i think that he leaves in the wake of his departure and that question that like i've asked myself since that has been like who who will be the next leaders uh, and not to say that there aren't but like who will be the next leaders that have enough power uh in the way that he ultimately did to to redefine the landscape and to kind of hold that um that kind of power of change like he did yeah i mean that in a weird way i think that the passing of him was also like a bit of a lightning rod in a good way for other folks to see like what he what he did i mean he basically obviously he died and that was horrible to happen but like you know he he he's he died as a legend you know and we're like there's and so everything that he you know like his legacy will obviously outlive any of the things that he did is that make sense like i I, i'm i'm really butchering my words there but just like You know, it, it's his death wasn't in vain. I uh, guess I'll put it yeah. that way. I mean, you know, I know the the fact that you know his a wife and the kids, yeah. and you know that that's horrible. Yeah. But like the what he created and what he's kind of like paved the way mm-hmm. on for others, I think is obviously huge. And I mean that that's just really special. But yeah. anyway, um, well, shit, this was this was huge. <laughs> This was a great, great pop. We got to hang yeah, some time, absolutely. man. I feel like absolutely, we definitely got to get <laughs> yeah, together. Thank, thank you, thank you so yeah, much absolutely. for your time. Thank you, Caleb. It was, it was great. It was great to chat with you. Thanks for tuning in. That's it for our show. Our theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We're edited by Marlal. If you like what you heard, share the pod with a friend. Tell some folks about us. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you're even doing that. You just go down and give it the little five star button. Follow us on Instagram for the hot content. If you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. So you can call us. Our phone number's in the show notes. Leave us a message. We'll put it in a future episode. Or email us at info at blamopod.com. If you want to hang with us and join the Blam fam, visit patreon.com forward slash blamo, where we have tons and tons of exclusive episodes in our amazing Slack community. All right, folks. See you next week.